Revelation chapter 3. We're going to look at two verses today. We're continuing on with our study of the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, the missionary church, which although that era, as we talked about, of, of great evangelistic explosion, missionary explosion all over the world took place between 1648 and 1900. So we're really in the aftermath. We've had, I believe, at least one more great revival since 1900, and that was the Jesus movement of the 1960s and 70s. But like all the other churches in Revelation 2 and 3, there are remnants of each church in existence today. The last church after we finish with Philadelphia uh, will be Laodicea, the lukewarm church, and I think that is the dominant church of this time in which we're living. But there's still that spirit of Philadelphia among many churches that have done what the Church of Philadelphia did. And we'll go back over that a little bit. And as we've discussed, we should all aspire to be part of that church, the Church of Philadelphia, the Church of Brotherly Love, the Missionary Church. So let's read these two verses. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Let's pray. Father God, as we continue our study with the Church of Philadelphia, we ask you to give us insight, understanding into what Jesus is saying here to this church, so that we could aspire to be like the Church of Philadelphia, Lord. Bless this time of Bible study now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Because you've kept my command. This is where we left off last week. We talked about the fact that life is all about choices. And of course the enemy's strategy is to try to convince us, again, really no matter what ethnicity we are, what social background we're from, his goal is to convince us that we are victims, that we don't have any control over our lives. We are just propelled along by an ongoing uh, set of circumstances and situations over which we have no control. That's a lie from the enemy. We can make choices, good or bad. And I've said for many years, God empowers right choices. Sometimes we're afraid to make the right choice because we're afraid that we won't be able to follow through on it or that something will hinder us. Someone or something will get in the way of that right choice that we're trying to make. But I believe with all my heart, and I think it's a biblical belief, that God empowers right choices. That when we make good decisions, when we make right choices, which again means we're being guided and directed by the truth of God's Word and the power of His Holy Spirit, that He will empower us and enable us the Bible tells us He works in us both to will and to do according to His good pleasure. He gives us the desire, the will, and then He enables us to follow through with it. And so part of His commendation here to the Church of Philadelphia, because you've kept my command to persevere. So another thing we know about these Christians in the Church of Philadelphia, they're in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, they made the right choice. They chose to obey God. And you see, when we talk about being created in His image, 
That's part of what it, it means, that we're, we're created with a capacity for choice, for free will. We are not robots. God created us out of love. He wants to have a love relationship with us, an eternal love relationship. He created us so that He could have a forever family. But as you and I know, we don't want somebody to love us because they're being forced to. That's not real love, is it? It has to be voluntary. It has to be by your own choice, your own free will. We are created in His image because our God has a free will. And we have a free will. The difference, of course, between us and God is that God always makes the right choice, right? John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Wow. So one of God's right choices is that He chose you. And someone has said, Well, what if, you know, I'd like to be a Christian, I'd like to know God, but what if I haven't been chosen? It's Pastor Chuck Smith talked about this. Because you see, with Calvinism, it says you don't really have a choice. You're predestined. It's been predetermined. And so whether you want to be saved or not, you will be saved. It's called irresistible grace in the Calvinistic doctrine and theology. And really, so if, if you're not chosen, then sorry, Charlie. Too bad for you. It's just not biblical. You've heard me talk about it before. What makes us like God is that we do have a free choice. We do have a free will. And I've said before that where God's sovereignty and man's free will intersect, that is predestination, that is election. Because God knew before the foundations of the earth every human being that would ever acknowledge Him, receive Him, believe in Him, and therefore He foreordained and chose those before the beginning of time who would choose Him. Doesn't that make sense? There's no sense choosing someone you know is not going to choose you. I've had people tell me before, well, God told me I'm supposed to marry this person. The only problem is he didn't tell the other person. <laughs> it, it's important for both people to be aware of the same fact. You know? And in this case, God knew before the foundations of the world that you would choose him, and therefore he chose you. So your free will has not been negated by the fact that God in his foreknowledge knew that you would choose him. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, Jesus says, that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That ties right in with what Jesus is commending the Philadelphia church for, that they've obeyed his command to persevere. Now, again, if we're all just victims of circumstances, if we don't have any free will, if we don't have any ability to choose, then how could God command us to persevere? That means we have the ability to choose to persevere, to hang in there, to not give up, to fight the good fight of the faith. Don't turn your back on God even when times get tough, right? That's the real test, folks. Why does God allow trials, tribulations, difficulties to happen to his people? Well, for one thing, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In other words, even people who don't walk in righteousness and holiness, who don't follow God, when the rainstorm comes, their grass gets watered too. I don't imagine there's anybody here today that could tell me they have a pagan, heathen neighbor 
and the last time it rained, your grass got water and his didn't. That would be pretty amazing. And see what happens, because God has his faithful remnant upon this planet, many times the blessings we receive spill over onto those around us, even if they don't follow God. Conversely, when bad things happen, we as believers sometimes get caught up in that because we're in proximity, we're in the area. You know, you talk about collateral damage when you have warfare and conflicts and you know it's not just bad people that get killed good people get killed too it's important God knows our hearts already it's important that we know our hearts David said search me O God try me and know my thoughts see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting David wisely gave God permission to search his heart and his mind because David knew that he had great ability to hide from his own sin, to hide from his own defects. And so he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, because, Lord, I'm pretty good at covering it up. We need to have our faith tested regularly so that we know it's genuine. God already knows one way or the other. We need to know. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. And that your fruit should remain, that you would persevere. And then Matthew twenty-two fourteen: many are called, but few are chosen. Why is that? Again, like I said, because God chooses those who choose Him. What if I'm not chosen? Well, Pastor Chuck would say, well, choose him and find out. Do you know anybody? No one that's chosen God has ever been turned away. Did you know that? Oh, sorry, man. You're too bad. You know, even the blood of Jesus can't fix you. Would God ever say that? No. To as many as received him. John chapter 1. So through his son, God has invited the whole world. John 3.16, we know that one, for God so loved the world. God's invited the whole world to his wedding banquet, but only those who choose Jesus will be chosen to participate. So he's commending the Christians in Philadelphia for obeying his command, keeping his command to persevere, which also means to endure patiently endure what the trials and tribulations of this world jesus commends these believers for patiently enduring you see folks it is possible to endure but be grumbling and moaning and groaning and complaining the whole time it's not enough to just endure or persevere we need to do it patiently without Grumbling, moaning, groaning, and complaining. 2 Timothy 2.3 Paul writes to Timothy, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.11 This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, and that doesn't mean physical death, although you know, for many or most of us it will eventually, eventually mean that, although... I believe the rapture is coming soon. 
If we died with him, in other words, Paul said, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I've crucified my flesh. And that's what baptism represents. As you go under the water, that's your burial. That's the death and burial of the old you. And as you come out, representing the new you in Christ. If we died with him, past tense, when you received Christ, now you may not have known this, we pastors, teachers, preachers aren't always as good as we should be at explaining these things to new believers, but when you accepted Christ, the idea was that you are receiving new life in Christ, but at the same time, you're giving up your old life, you're forfeiting your old life, you're dying to self. So Paul says it in the past tense, if we died with him when we received Christ, we shall also live with him. Is Jesus alive? Is he alive forevermore? Is he seated at the right hand of the Father? Paul says, if we died with him, past tense, we shall also live with him forever in paradise with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. Persevere, endure, hang in there to the very end, till the day that you die and go to meet the Lord or the day that he calls us home in the rapture. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father and all the angels in heaven. And there's a big battle on right now, even within the so-called Christian community, about should we use the name Jesus? That's offensive to a lot of people. We've talked about this, how military chaplains, police chaplains, and different ones have been specifically ordered not to pray any prayers in Jesus' name. There was a lot of in Jesus' name prayers at the Republican National Convention. I don't know if you noticed. See, again, oh, pastors shouldn't be political or partisan or whatever. But you know what? Whoever stands for God, I stand with them. Does that mean they're perfect? No. There are no perfect people. There are no perfect political parties. There are no perfect human governments. But it just so happens that even though our system of government, our nation, because it's run by human beings, is flawed, it still happens to be the best in the world. And we'd like it to stay that way. We'd like it to stay that way. If we deny him, he will also, also will deny us. One of the things, remember, we saw last week the Church of Philadelphia was commended for upholding his name. They were not ashamed or embarrassed of the name of Jesus. But a lot of people are opting for a more generic term like the cosmic consciousness. You know, the man upstairs, the old man in the sky, the man in the moon. God in a very... In fact, the enemy is always trying to pervert and pollute anything and everything attached to the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the creator of all things. So, one of the, one of the most recent perversions, at least in modern times in our world that we live in, is to say that uh, Allah and God are one and the same. Oh, they're just, they're just saying God is greater 
Not God is, did you know Allah U Akbar does not mean God is great. It means God is greater. They're saying their God is greater than the God of the Christians and the Jews. So when you use that word God and you don't make sure that you bring up his son, it makes it much more palatable to people. But the name of Jesus is vital, essential to salvation. The only name given under heaven by which man must be saved. If we deny him, he will also deny us if we are faithless. Now this is the part that encourages me. I mean, I'm encouraged by the fact that if we died with him, we shall also live with him. I want to live with Jesus forever, don't you? I don't deserve to. But God said, I love you so much, I'm going to send my son into this world to die on the cross because I want you to come and live with me forever, you dirty, rotten little stinker. <laughs> and I'm going to send my son to die in your place. I'm encouraged by the fact that if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Again, I don't deserve to reign with Christ. But because of God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, if I endure, if I hang in there, which doesn't mean that I'm saved by my own good works. It means that if I'm truly saved, I will endure. I will persevere. I'm not going to just follow God for, you know, six months or a year or five years or ten years. I'm going to follow God for the rest of my life. That's what it means to endure. You don't turn to the left. You don't turn to the right. You don't go from being a Christian to being a New Ager to being a Buddhist and there are people that have done all that. Well, I explored those things in my youth, but I found out it was all a bunch of baloney. I found that only Jesus is the real deal. Only the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is the real deal. I'm not going to waste my time with all that other malarkey. I'm challenged. I said I've been encouraged by these things. I'm challenged by this statement. If we deny him, he will also, also will deny us. So therefore... I'm never going to deny the name of Jesus. Not going to do it. And there have been many Christian martyrs down through the centuries have been challenged in that very thing. Deny Jesus and we'll let you live. Sorry, can't do it. It's okay, I go to a better place, right? And I'm very encouraged by verse 13. If we are faithless, you see there's a difference between denying him which results in him denying us but let's be honest there are times when all of us have experienced being faithless right even jesus even said to the uh, disciples the apostles the ultimately became the apostles oh ye of little faith it's part of our flawed frail human nature that there are times we have difficulty mustering up faith but that's different than denying him. And he says if we're faithless, he remains faithful. I'm very encouraged by that. It doesn't say if we are unfaithful, but it says if we are faithless, or if we're having a moment of crisis in our faith, we're not denying him. We're still persevering. We're still enduring. But at the moment, we're having a hard time mustering up enough faith to deal with a certain situation. God will come in like a flood and he will give us that faith. But even if we're faithless, he remains faithful. 
He cannot deny himself. What does that mean? Because when you're born again, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, you now have his DNA. You're his child. He cannot deny himself. He will not deny you unless you deny him. But if you're faithless, that's okay. You'll get over it. You'll get past it. He will help you. And he will not deny you because you are part of him now and he's part of you. I think that's awesome. See, we have what they call fair weather friends, right? Uh, they're your bosom buddy till something bad happens and then they're nowhere to be found. God's not like that. He's right there every step of the way. 1 Peter 2.20, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, something you did, you take it patiently? Oh, well, I'm enduring patiently for the Lord. Really? How, how big of you? How godlike of you? You deserve the punishment that you got. There's no credit there. But when you do good and suffer, and we're certainly seeing more and more of that in our world today, we know that people in various parts of the world have suffered for their faith for thousands of years. But it's encroaching into our Western world. Persecution. And it's getting stronger all the time. When you do good and suffer, you didn't do anything worthy of punishment, but somebody's coming after you anyway. If you take it patiently, he's commending them for enduring patiently persevering patiently, knowing that no matter what's happening, God's in control, he's allowing it, and whatever, even if the devil intends it for bad, for evil, God intends it for good. When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, you're not getting mad at God, you're not blaming God, or anyone else for that matter. You take it patiently, this is commendable before God. So this is the kind of thing the Church of Philadelphia is being commended for. Difficulty will come our way no matter what. Every one of us at some point in some way will experience trials and tribulations in this life. The point is, can we, will we endure them patiently? Will we persevere? Because there's commendation from the Lord for that. The goal for every believer should be to endure, to finish the race, to complete the task. Acts 20, 24, Paul says, None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The way to finish our race with joy is to not be moved by these things Paul went through things that you and I can't even hardly imagine. The stonings, the beatings, the shipwreck, the arrest and so forth, the incarceration, being hauled before the emperor Nero and so forth, ultimately, of course, taking his life. But he says, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. When we get too enamored with our own life here on earth, and we get our eyes off of eternity, it's very difficult to finish our race with joy. Colossians 4.17, he sends a message to Archippus, or Archippus. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. 
It's sad how many people have started off well, made a commitment to Christ, began to follow Him, live for Him, but along the way they've gotten sidetracked, they've gone distracted, perhaps they've gotten mad at God, they blame God for these things that happen in everybody's life. Certainly the death of a loved one is a tragic and traumatic thing, but I'm, at the same time I'm rather shocked at how upset people get when we all know that everybody dies, right? Why are you so shocked, so surprised? It's really all about you didn't want it to happen, you didn't want it to happen now, but guess what? It's not, it's not under our control. It's appointed for man once to die and then the judgment. God is the giver of life and he's the one who decides when it's time for this life and this world to be over. And it's not our place to question him. But here's a wonderful promise, folks, we're coming up on here. I also will keep you, because you've kept my command to persevere, to endure patiently, I also will keep you from the hour of trial. Now what's interesting here, even though this was written, spoken by Jesus, passed on to John, the revelator, this is a promise concerning the hour of trial that's coming upon the whole world to test this world. I will also keep you from the hour of trial. So here's where the promises to Philadelphia become universal to every believer and every church that follows in the footsteps of these believers in Philadelphia. Jesus is not speaking here of just trials in a general sense. He specifically says the hour of trial. Now you could apply it on one level in your own life that when you come to that hour of trial, whatever that trial might be, you can be sure that God is going to be there with you. But this, he's speaking here of a specific hour or time of trial in an historical context. And this brings me to another point that I want to interject here. That is, God's love is unconditional. Agape, right? God so loved the world as gave, gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's love is unconditional. It has to be. If God's love is conditional, we have no hope. If it's based upon how much you deserve God's love, forget it. You're out of there. Right? I become more aware every day of how much I don't deserve the love of God, the blessings of God. And that's what makes it all the more amazing. It's not so amazing if you think you deserve it. Well, I finally got what I deserve. I hope not. I've tell, I tell you guys all the time, don't ever tell God to give you what you deserve. Don't do that. That's even worse than praying for patience. You don't need to pray for patience. God is determined to work patience into you. You don't have to ask for it. Just ask for the strength to patiently endure. John 1.12, as many as received him. My point is this, God's love is unconditional, but here's something to make note of. I'm not sure everybody understands this. His love is unconditional, but his promises are conditional. Did you know that? Listen to this. John 1.12, 
as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So there's a condition. In order to become a child of God, you must receive him. That's your choice. We've talked about choices. God will not force you. It's your choice. You can choose Jesus. You can choose life. Or you can reject Jesus, and essentially, whether you know it or not, you're choosing death. It's conditional. God will not force salvation upon you. It has to be your own choice. John 15, 7, if you abide, which means to remain, this goes right along with endurance and perseverance, if you abide or remain in me, yeah, well, I used to be Christian, but yeah, I just kind of outgrew that. Really? Wow. That's amazing. If you abide, if you remain in me, and my words abide or remain in you. That's why we emphasize the, the regular reading, meditation, study of the Scriptures. Because the way that we're able to abide or remain in Christ is by hiding His Word in our hearts. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The more of God's Word we get into our hearts and minds, the more we are able to overcome and conquer sin. If... There's a condition here. If you abide or remain in me, my words abide or remain in you, you, then you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. A lot of people like to just read the last part, this part. Ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Here it is right here, God. You've got to do it. Really? Wait a minute. It's conditional. Because if you abide in him or remain in him and his words or abide or remain in you, you're not going to ask for stupid stuff. You're not going to ask for fleshly stuff because you're filled with Him. You're filled with His Word. And so your requests will be godly requests which He will lovingly and willingly grant. Does that make sense? If you're asking God and praying to God that so-and-so will get divorced so you can marry them, people do stuff like that, you know. You're laughing, but it really happens. Or like we talked about earlier, praying that someone would die. I hate to tell you, believers, Christians shouldn't pray like that. That's like witchcraft. Do you know that? And the Bible condemns witchcraft. Again, choices, conditions. God's love is unconditional. All you have to do to be forgiven, confess your sins, repent, Invite Christ to come into your life to be your Lord and Savior, wash you with His precious blood, fill you with His Holy Spirit, and you have become a blood-washed, born-again, spirit-filled child of God. But now, that's even that is a condition you have to choose. Salvation's a free gift, but we must choose Jesus in order to receive it. And because the Philadelphia Christians had kept Jesus' word and had obeyed his commands, indicating they possessed a true saving faith, it's easy to say you believe in God. It's easy to say you believe in Jesus, but the proof is in the pudding. Do you keep his word? Which means you don't throw it away. You don't ignore it. You keep it. You read it. You feed upon it. You let it penetrate your heart and your mind. Keep his word, obey his commands. That's the indicator 
that you possess a true saving faith. And he's going to reward them by keeping them from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world. So here, again, the distinction. Down through history, there have been persecutions that would break out over here, over here. Right now, there's believers being persecuted in China and many other parts of the world. Again, we have some here, but it's not that bad yet. Some have been affected more than others. Might have lost a job. Might have had some friends turn their backs on you. There's a few that have been physically accosted, but we haven't experienced near the level of persecution that believers in other parts of the world have. But this hour of trial that Jesus is referring to is going to come upon the whole world, worldwide, universal. And this is the first time in human history where we've been in a situation where that could happen. Because you can travel halfway around the world in 12 hours. You can communicate across the world in a matter of seconds. A worldwide persecution can be unleashed in moments. Do you realize that? And the more control they have over us, Somebody, a friend of mine, I was talking to a buddy of mine up in uh, Washington State. He said, are you guys having a shortage of quarters down there? I said, yeah, I think I had heard something about that. And he said, yeah, they're, they're worried about virus transmission through money, so they haven't been minting any quarters. And I guess the coronavirus only lands on quarters. I don't know. <laughs> but you probably already know this, but there is a concerted effort to do away with all cash right? That everything will be electronic. And they have already have that in some countries. China, for one, has gone almost completely cashless. I don't know about you guys. It makes me a little nervous to not be able to get my hands on any cold, hard cash. <laughs> that everything's in a little chip that can be controlled and manipulated by the banking system, by the government. And they're already doing that. If you make any kind of a sizable deposit or withdrawal, it's happened to my wife more than once. She got an inheritance at one point. They want to know where you got the money, you know, where are you going to do with it, blah, 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 which is really none of their business. The problem is it is now their business. And so that's what's coming. You guys all know that in Revelation 13, it talks about a one-world government, a one-world monetary system, and a one-world religion. We're almost there. We're getting closer and closer and closer. The trial, the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. Again, there have always been trials and tribulations upon the earth, but this is the hour of trial, a very special and specific time, and it's going to be worldwide or universal, just like Noah's flood. Water covered the entire planet, and there's archaeological and geological evidence of that everywhere. Did you know that? You know what I love? We hear all this talk about you have to trust the science. Uh, which science would that be? Would that be the same scientists that tell us we evolved from a blob of snot <laughs> oozing up out of the water? Or we evolved from monkeys? And, do you know Darwinism's been totally discredited? But that hasn't stopped the scientists from teaching it, promoting it, in some cases, believing it. I'm sure there's a lot of them that don't really believe it. The problem is, if they say that it's not true, then what are they going to do with God? Right? Oh, my goodness. If we didn't evolve, 
then that means there really is a God. We can't have that. Trust the science. That's one of Joe Biden's favorite phrases. I think he also said, we believe facts over truth. I mean, the guy could write his own book of Proverbs, I'm telling you. But I endorsed him. Because I don't want to get in trouble. So I endorsed Biden. Luke 17, 26 and 27. As it was in the days of Noah, so it, well, again, you got to believe that that really happened. I do, don't you? As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be also in the days of the Son of Man. The days of the Son of Man refers to his return, which is the preamble to his return is the rapture of the church and then the hour of trial and then the second coming. They ate, they drank, they married wives, just normal everyday routines. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. They weren't paying any attention, in other words. Noah had been warning them for 120 years while he and his sons were building this massive battleship-sized boat. You'd think that would get people's attention, wouldn't you? I mean, if Noah and his sons were just lunatics, how could they accomplish a feat of that magnitude? In the same way that we could use the example, if we're simply evolved from apes, if we, if we came up out of the primordial soup, look at the accomplishments of man upon this planet. Again, apart from God, they don't mean a whole lot, but everything that man has accomplished, the massive skyscrapers and cities and hospitals and on battleships and airplanes, on and on it goes. All that ability came from God, the Creator, to be able to do that stuff. We don't see any apes, monkeys, rabbits, chickens. There's a Trump Tower in New York City. There's no chicken tower. <laughs> Rooster Tower. Giraffe Tower. Man has accomplished things that no other animal, vegetable, or mineral on this planet has been able to accomplish. And all of that came from the Creator. We are able to create things because we have been created. But there's only one being in the universe who can create something, anything, everything out of nothing. And that's God, Jehovah God. We can only create with the raw materials that he gives us. And it's an amazing thing. And so as it was in the days of Noah, Jesus said this would be a key sign. We're not living in a time when the whole world is talking about Jesus coming back and wanting him to come back and excited about him coming back. Quite the opposite. They would love for every Christian on the planet to shut up and go away. And they're just waiting for the alien spaceships to come and take us. That'll be the rapture. That'll be the rapture of the church. Wow, look at that. That's, there must be a spaceship up there somewhere sucking them up. Close encounters. Get out the mashed potatoes. I guess you don't remember that movie. Richard Dreyfus, Mashed Potatoes. Okay. Go back and watch it. It's interesting. The whole world. This is the hour of trial that will come upon the whole world. Nobody will be exempt. 
to test those who dwell on the earth. We kind of talked about this, the testing of our faith. But why will we be raptured first? Because we've already been tested. You and I are in the process of being tested right now. Our lives are a test. The hour of trial is to test the rest of the world that has refused him. Do you see? Just as our testing proves to us that we're really children of God. He already knows. But when you go through a tremendous trial and you wake up the next day and you still love Jesus and you're singing that song, Though none go with me, still I will follow. Right? I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a choice. Like Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Have you made that choice? To test those who dwell on the earth. Again, the testing is not for God's benefit, but for those being tested, that they might see their own hearts and repent. God already knows every heart. And this great worldwide testing that we call the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, will prove that God is justified in bringing judgment on the earth. Why? Because the vast majority of people will still reject Him. Seven years of tribulation, seven years of testing. And instead of turning to him, they're going to say, let the rocks fall on us that we might die. They would rather die than turn to God. And God will expose their hearts and prove that he is totally justified in judging this world. Just like he did with Noah and his sons. Those people had 120 years to repent. If you saw somebody building a battleship in their backyard, you'd think it would get your attention. Right? This great worldwide testing will prove that God is justified in bringing judgment upon the earth and those who have given their lives to Christ have been forgiven. Jesus has been judged in our place. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 God did not appoint us to suffer wrath. We've talked about it so many times. There's a difference between trials and tribulations and wrath, persecution and wrath. God allows His people to to be persecuted for our own strengthening, our own building up of our faith, our testing of our faith. He allows persecution. He allows trials and tribulations. But wrath is always reserved for the unbeliever. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to quote J. Vernon McGee, the late great J. Vernon McGee. He said this, is the promise that is the hope of the church. Actually, the church is not looking for the great tribulation period. Nowhere are you told that you are to gird up your loins, grit your teeth, clench your fist, because the great tribulation is coming, and you're certainly going to go through it. Now, one thing I've experienced in my own life, God always gives us warnings. We don't always listen, but He, he loves us. He's trying to protect us. He always gives us a warning. Don't you think if we were going to go through the tribulation, God would tell us? I do. J. Vernon McGee says he hasn't, and I agree. He never said that, but looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. That's what we're to be looking for. Although we're also told we can discern the signs of the times. We can see the fig tree has blossomed. Israel has been reestablished in their homeland. And just to give another plug, our embassy is now for the first time in Jerusalem. Who did that? 
and at least the last three or four presidents all promised, they, they passed legislation to do it. And none of them ever followed through. They never moved the embassy to Jerusalem. I think that's another key sign of the last days. Let's stand. We got through one verse anyway. Praise God. We got plenty of time to study the Word of God, don't we? And yet at the same time, He could come at any moment and then it'll be printed on our hearts and minds. I like that. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for this time together this morning. We do lift up our nation to You. Lord, we know that there are good men and women across the entire political spectrum. But Lord, sadly, some have been blinded by this deception that it's okay to kill the unborn, that it's okay to violate your biblical directives regarding marriage and gender and so forth. Lord, there's a lot of deception going on in our world right now. And there's a lot of it right here in our own country. We pray for enlightenment across the spectrum, Father. That, and we pray that we could, we could experience once again the unity, the harmony, the oneness that we had not that long ago. There seemed to be a new era dawning where people were coming together and they were casting off their prejudices and their biases and so forth. And then some people came along and decided it would be better to tear us apart and divide us up so that they could conquer us. It's called divide and conquer. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon our land. Please guard and protect our leaders, those who look out for us. And Lord, for those that don't look out for us, we pray that they might find another occupation. Lord, it's all in your hands. It's all according to your plan. It's all according to your will. We pray for your will to be done. But Lord, we love this nation that you've blessed us with and blessed us to be a part of. Our hope and our prayer is that there could be a return to you, Lord, that many, many people would turn back to you, cast off their, their divisiveness, their anger, their hatred, their bitterness, and come together in a spirit of unity and love. But Lord, help us to never misconstrue unity, and love, harmony for compromise and capitulation. Give us the strength to stand firm, but to be your ambassadors right where you've placed us, that we could show those around us your love while at the same time taking a firm stand for your truth. Before we close, I just want to ask anyone this morning who needs prayer, if you'd raise your hand, lift your hand up so we can pray for you. God knows your heart. He knows what's going on. It could be a health issue. It could be a monetary issue. It could be a relationship issue, a job issue. God knows. He sees your hand right now, as do I. And Father, we lift each one of these up to you, God. And Lord, I pray that you'd encourage them, first of all. Lord, you are alive and well. We're not praying to a dead God. We thank you for that. You're alive. You hear our prayers. You do care about us. You love us. You proved it when you sent Jesus to die on the cross. You love us more than anyone else. You are our loving Heavenly Father. So I lift each one of these up to you now. Lord, you know what their requests are, whether it's a health problem, a monetary problem. Lord, you've promised if we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness that all these things would be added unto us. I pray, God, that you would remove and relieve and release any and all anxiety that any one of these folks is experiencing right now. Lord, you promised that you would give us the peace that passes all understanding.
if we would bring everything to you in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make our requests known unto you. And Lord, we are thankful. Lord, sometimes we get caught up in the trials and tribulations of the moment and we forget to thank you. But we do thank you this morning for all the blessings, all the things you've done for us. And we thank you most of all for salvation through Jesus Christ. But God, please hear their cry, hear their prayers, whether it's for them or someone else. Lord, we pray for those that we are in relationship with family, friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers that need Jesus. Lord, we do pray that you would cause people to return to you, Lord, if they've never been there, to come for the first time. But Lord, bless each one this morning that's raised their hand. May they go from here today comforted, encouraged, strengthened, knowing that your answers are coming. We must endure patiently. Lord, it may not come in the very moment that we want it to come, but we can trust you. You're the lover of our souls. Bless each one, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.